Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Tempting fate, again. Recording right before an episode, even though we have to, is always tempting fate. And immediately within like eight hours, I'm like, well, that whole episode's going to sound so dumb because we missed this, you know, massive event that just happened in the Red Wings game. It is one of the Ten Commandments of the podcasting world. Yeah, the the utmost truths that are carved in stone. Yes. It's what made us throw away literally an entire episode this past summer because Alex DeBrinkett got traded immediately after we finished recording. Thou shalt get screwed if not properly timed. Yeah, yeah. January is full of stuff like this, so buckle up, folks. We're going to be recording at weird times and sometimes dates uh, pretty often here, so... That's guaranteeing some big things happening in the Red Wings world. Folks, welcome back to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we have a full roster. Brad's back, although you might hear his stomach talking to you on this episode. We are going to discuss the Red Wings' most recent game at the time of recording because we're recording a couple hours before the Anaheim game. But the LA game last Thursday, we're going to cover that. The storylines from that game, Alex Lyons' uh, big win, the shootout seal by Patrick Kane, the shootout winner by Lucas Raymond, how that game kind of played out overall, and the fact that Detroit has four points out of four on this West Coast road trip, surprisingly. Uh, we'll be talking about the All-Star game and Detroit's All-Star representative going, as well as some uh, larger discussion on thoughts on the format of uh, one player per team and how we feel about that. Uh, Updates on what the Red Wings might be rumored to be looking for in the trade market. And then, of course, the topic that is, you know, had the hockey world abuzz over the past little while, the World Juniors. Sweden versus USA, that gold medal game. Obviously, that was a Trey Augustine versus Axel Sandin Pelika and Anton Johansson game for Red Wings fans. We'll cover how that one played out, as well as uh, some pretty big storylines in the NHL. We'll see what we can actually get to here. Connor Bedard out injured. Um, Some debate on that hit. Brad and I were talking about it before, and I think we already disagree, so that should be a fun one. We'll be taking a look at uh, William Nylander's potential contract incoming with the Toronto Maple Leafs. At the time of recording, it's not confirmed, but we have an idea of what it might be, as well as some other notes uh, from around the NHL and the hockey world. Before all that, I want to let you know, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is on Saturday, March 2nd, 2024. What Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is, is a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings that we host at Little Caesars Arena right before a Red Wings game. So when you get a ticket, you get the ticket not only to the event, but the game itself. So that's the game against the Florida Panthers on Saturday, March 2nd. It's our sixth time running the event. We host a live episode of the Winged Wheel podcast before the game at Little Caesars Arena featuring us, the hosts, and more importantly, Ken Daniels. And we'll keep you posted as to what other special guest stars are coming for this time around. Uh, If you come to that live recording, you not only get you know, access to the event and the game and all the merch and stuff that we give away at the event. But also you get a special co-branded, officially licensed Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast hat. You'll have two options, the black hat from one of the events that we ran last year in case you want to opt for that one and you didn't have a chance to get it then. Or a new one that we're designing for this event, we will release what that looks like to you once it's developed. So go to the link in the description or type in wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings into your browser to get your tickets today. Only the first 400 ticket buyers get those special edition Winged Wheel Podcast Detroit Red Wings co-branded caps. Again, your ticket gets you a discounted ticket to the Detroit Red Wings game, access to the event, the special edition cap, 
The event itself, you can have a meet and greet with us, the hosts, and more importantly, Ken Daniels and any other special guests. There's going to be an opportunity to get food and drinks. There's going to be other merch and things that we're going to give away. And a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold will benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And when we all go watch the game together, you can sit in either the mezzanine, which is a fantastic view. It's where Ken and Mick call the game from. We also have lower bowl and upper bowl seats. So again, link in the description or go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings. Okay. The Detroit Red Wings beat the LA Kings, and if you told me that was going to happen, what was it, five minutes into the game, not even five minutes into the game, I would have thought, yeah, no chance. They already had the unlikely win against the San Jose Sharks earlier in the West Coast road trip. LA started the game scoring at one minute and 50 seconds in, and then four minutes and 18 seconds in. Defensive holes, missed assignments, moving off of your, uh, the defender you should be marking, Whatever you're looking for, defensive lapses galore, and LA was up 2-0 early, and we thought, oh, here it is. This is the Red Wings we've been watching for the last long time. New Year, same team. That's what it seemed. And then you watch the game unfold, and you kind of thought, okay, I can see why LA fans have been a little bit disgruntled recently. This is a team that looks out of sorts. They don't look like they did. Like, the Kings weren't playing the way they were earlier in the season. They... Almost kind of the same as Detroit. They couldn't really find a rhythm. Neither team was really doing much to impress. So that was fortunate for the Red Wings because it allowed the game to kind of settle in. It allowed Lyon to get some shots and, and get a feel for the game. And he was pretty much outstanding. Maybe one of the goals later he would have wanted back. But he was really great for the rest of the game. And after that, I don't think it was so lopsided. We've talked about it a lot earlier in the season when the Red Wings were on their heater they ran into a lot of teams who weren't playing at their best, and that's going to happen. The Red Wings are going to do that a ton. But when it happens, you can't waste it. You need to get two points. And they walked into L.A. They somehow uh, played worse than the Kings, as you mentioned in the first period. But they found their groove a little bit, mm-hmm. and the Kings didn't. And it was as simple as the Red Wings were able to capitalize on a— Good team playing poorly. When it came to, you know, late in the first, and especially the early second period, I think both teams had some really good opportunities that they squandered. They either missed the net on or, or they weren't able to convert. And it was one of those games where it very easily could have gotten out of hand for the LA Kings in their favor. But, you know, they squandered those opportunities. Like I mentioned, line was pretty decent. And then Fabry scored a pivotal goal. Uh, he got Detroit on the board about halfway through the second period. He was, you know, in the right spot in front. As he, he's one of those players on Detroit who you can count on to do that. I think Dylan Larkin's another one. But Fabry, you know, two goals in that game was, uh, did what he needed to do. And that was, it seemed like a very nothing goal. But I think it was an important goal to get Detroit on the board. That was from Mata and Sprung. Mata battled really well down low to get that puck to Fabry. I think you've seen Mata activating a little bit recently. It's been kind of uh, nice to see. It looks like it's been an MO of the Red Wings blue line as a whole, but it is noticeable when he does it because he does it so infrequently unless likely directed to do so. Yeah. So Fabry scored that goal and that was the first bit of converted momentum for either team in a little while there. And it followed up with another goal late in the second period. Jeff Petrie from the point, just slap shot from the point. Redditch didn't get it, went past his pad. Weird shot to go in on an NHL goalie, I think, but it wasn't the worst goal in the world. Great from Petrie to to get that in. And then Fabry actually gave Detroit the lead five minutes into the third. Uh, that one from Sprung and Kane. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, 
first of all, thank you for Robbie Fabry again. Uh, and wow, Detroit battled back from 2 nothing down, and they now control this game. Their big mistake occurred here, though. They got a third-period lead. <laughs> they should have just done that right at the very end where they wouldn't have had time to squander it. Exactly. Timing is everything. That pass from uh, Kane to Sprong in front who yes. took the shot, that was just, yes. that's the definition of a, a soft touch. Yeah, and uh, Fabry was in the right spot once again in front of the net. Mm-hmm. You look at the things that Patrick Kane does, because we we joke a lot off air of what Patrick Kane doesn't do, and I think we mentioned in a previous episode, he's not going to be out there out skating very many people. You know, the physical battles along the boards, he's not going to be winning too many of those. But the soft hands and the ability to read a play and just do something in and of itself rather unremarkable, just a quick tap back of the stick to find Sprung in front, but finding that soft area and just getting that quick pass off without a lot of... Uh, uh, pomp and circumstance in the corner. That is, it's one of those small plays that highlights that's what Patrick Kane brings to your roster. And the more players you have that can do that, the more times you get the puck in the high danger area. Timing on passes is everything. It's one thing to see it. It's one thing to being able to hit it. But if you don't hit it at the right time, it's irrelevant. The game predictably was tied by L.A., uh, about five minutes, just under five minutes left in the third. And then we head into overtime where that was an insane OT. That was one of those overtimes where people would use as uh, fodder in the argument against changing overtime right now because they're like, there's plenty of action, even with the, you know, uh, leaving the zone to maintain possession rule. It went both ways. Alex Debrinkit could have ended the game twice. One of those was a, as all alone as you can be on a breakaway, the closest player to him was another Red Wing. And wasn't a great you know, attempt by him. Uh, the goalies did what they needed to do, and it went into a shootout where Lyon was perfect, but Lucas Raymond and Patrick Kane scored two clutch goals. And you guys know how I feel about the shootout. I'm not the biggest fan of it anymore. I think it, I don't know, it feels a bit gimmicky. But in terms of doing a shootout well and uh, making the most of your opportunity as a shooter, those two were as perfect as you can ask for. Uh, Brad, as a forward, as a shooter, walk us through those two shots that Raymond and then Kane took. Well, one of the fun storylines as hockey evolves is how do shooters evolve? And you look at even overall save percentages going down this year. It's because shooters evolve. And I think Lucas Raymond's goal is the perfect example. In this modern day of the big NHL goalie, you don't live under the bar like you used to because the goalies get there. And one of the cheater spots for righties now is under the glove. It's hard for a goalie to get that glove down quick as opposed to getting it up quick. And you get a guy like Lucas Raymond come down on the angle, pull it from backhand to forehand quickly. So he's moving the puck about two, three feet of actual distance. So now the goalie has to move. And when you're moving laterally, you're not worried about your glove going up, down. You're just worried about getting to it. So you get that gap between the glove and uh, the pad. You look at Travis Konechny this year, I think 80% of his goals have went in that exact spot. And Raymond's now finding success with it in the shootout consistently. Con- as many consistent as you can be in something you do maybe five times a year. Yeah. But it's it's a smart, smart play. And it's one of the more modern ways of scoring goals against big goalies. Patrick Haynes is just the old school. I'm just going to make the goalie move. And the second he does, it's going through his legs. <laughs> yeah. Just, you're just timing that. He, 
he's essentially it's almost a no win game for the goalie. That's part of the reason why I actually don't love the shootout. I think there's a way to have almost automatic goal. I think Kuznetsov in Washington, like it's fun. And if that was a Detroit Red Wings player, I'd be celebrating it. I'd be biased for sure. But watching it as a neutral fan, I'm like, well, the goalie has no chance there. And Patrick Kane's move that he, I, I think, dangles into is it holds the goalie into a, you have to choose. Are you going to open up the five hole or are you going to keep it closed and just give him the short side to shoot on or that left side for, for Kane? So, you know, very smart move by both of them. Showtime is becoming a thing in the shootouts and Detroit having those shootout weapons is valuable. Fun way to end the game for Detroit. I'm a big fan of the shootout as long as the Red Wings are winning them. That's, you know, if you look, if you break down the mechanics of it, that does seem to be the thing that influences our (laughs) opinion the most. But, man, the Wings were pumped about that. You see the video that uh, Bally Sports Detroit put out of them dancing coming off the ice? Jake Wallman's, like, his personality is infectious to that team. You can see he is impactful on and off the ice, that guy. Just the easiest guy to root for. Redefining what it means to be a leader. (laughs) Toronto could never. (laughs) That was Detroit. They are four points out of four on that West Coast road trip. I think the LA game, I'm not going to call it the same as the San Jose game. The San Jose game, I was like, Detroit was not the better team. And you put up that effort. Most nights, you're not going to walk away with one point, let alone two. The LA game, I think, was a lot more, you know, you remove the horrendous start. And then you could, you know, see the result and say, oh, yeah, Detroit, very predictable. Or I could say even very understandable that they walked away with two points. But a very tough December. A lot of poor results in December, Not, and it wasn't with strong play. Like They played poorly in December. They come into January, they don't have the two strongest games, but to walk away with four points, how impactful is that for, yeah, their position in the standings and clawing their way back, but the psyche of the team? This seems to be a streaky team. When they're feeling it, they're feeling it. When they're not, they free fall in a hurry, it seems, so... Yeah, anytime they can string together a streak, it does feel like this team will ride it. So again, we're recording before the LA game, so we won't go too deep into the euphoria or the predictions about going maybe 6-for-6 on the West Coast, but even just starting out those two games with wins, albeit one in a shootout, it's important. It doesn't undo a tough December, but you view it as necessary to start out this way. And I'm not going to say it's better to win with a imperfect effort obviously you you would have hoped for Detroit to play better those two games especially the San Jose game but I will say there is something that's encouraging about knowing for the team like it has to be encouraging for them to know you can go out have an imperfect game and still get a good result and credit to Alex Lyon I think the team has continued to play you know more confidently in front of him he made what was it 40 saves on 43 shots I think one of those goals was a bit soft but altogether that's a a big result. And knowing that your goalie can make 40 saves, it's going to change the way your team plays in front. We've talked about this ad nauseum, not just this year, the past however many years for Detroit, where if they didn't have a good goalie in the net, you can see the way the team just became dejected, deflated, horrified of making mistakes in their own zone to the point where they started making mistakes in their own zone. And even a team where when they're playing at their peak under Jericho Lalone, they started collapsing and making silly mistakes defensively, and that was like antithetical to a structure. So Alex Lyon coming in and playing solid hockey is that impact can't be understated. <laughs> Oversimplified. It's nice when they get a save. It's yeah. 
that's really just the answer to so many things in hockey. It's like, why is this team doing bad? Why is that coach fired? Why is this defenseman struggling? Goalie, goalie, goalie. <laughs> it's not like the the only answer to everything, but it's kind of a common denominator across a lot of threads. Well, a lot of times too, it works the other way too. Why did that team rattle off six wins in a row? Oh, 962 save percentage as a team. Okay. Funny, it. the answer for that was also Alex Lyon for, for Florida last year. Or it could be literally, yeah. At that point, it could be the third string goalie comes out of nowhere to save a team season. Like it's it's very strange to see how many sort of lesser known goalies are coming in and having an impact in the NHL. The the conversation about you know what uh, what kind of analytic is the best and how do we evaluate teams and how do we marry that with the eye test and blah 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 and, and the the prevailing answer to a lot of hockey's questions seems to be still the most misunderstood or lack of understanding topic in hockey, which is goaltending. Like we still use the line goalies are voodoo and we have more analytics and metrics and uh, even tools that you can apply with the eye test to evaluate players than we ever have in hockey history. And for goalies, we're still like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> most people are like, yeah, good rebound control. The best analytic is the one that supports my opinion. That's, Mine too, funny enough. Yeah. Okay, that's the Red Wings. We'll see what the result is uh, against the Anaheim Ducks. We'll chat about that this Wednesday. Before all that, I first want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by Labatt Blue Light. Created in 1983, this premium light Canadian Pilsner is a delicately balanced beer brewed with Cascade hops and a blend of malt. It's fresh, crisp, and brewed to the highest quality standards. There's a little bit of Canadian kindness in every sip of Labatt Blue Light. How did it get in there? They're Canadian. That's how. You can spread the love yourself by sharing a Labatt. So head to the link in the description of this episode or the one you see on your screen to find Labatt in stores near you today. You must be 21 or older, and as always, enjoy responsibly. All right. Welcome back. And let's chat very quickly here about Detroit's all-star representative, the most of the team was picked. There's still going to be players voted in, but uh, the teams got some representatives picked from them. And Detroit's was Alex DeBrinket. Any surprise? Not really. I'm just glad it wasn't Dylan Larkin. <laughs> He's glad it wasn't Dylan Larkin. Did, Did you guys see the um, Oliver Borkstrand video that they released about them announcing him going to the All Star game? That was so funny. I can't believe they actually posted that. I can't either. I, I was physically cringing watching that. <laughs> I thought it was going to be this like great story and he was going to be all happy and stuff. And he's like talking about how his wife booked him a, a resort in Cabo or somewhere like that. And now he's like excited to have the time off. And Dave Haxtall <laughs> is basically like, well, you're going to have to cancel that flight because now you're going to Toronto. He's like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most... Hockey player talking to his GM conversation ever. Yes. He's like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> you could he see. He knew his wife was pissed. I would be. <laughs> yeah. Hey, cancel the vacation. You're going to Toronto in February. <laughs> Famously amazing weather. Yes. That's hell on. That's the opposite of hell on earth. The frozen hell on earth. Oh, I was going to say heaven on earth. Not it smells like garbage and sewage the big city smell yeah it's no that's just lake ontario yeah yeah that's right it's so funny for these players because we have these conversations of where should the all-star game be and every single fan base is like my city and i've wanted the all-star game in detroit before and i'm like 
you know, finish the district Detroit and let's show off little Caesars arena a little bit more. And then you remember like if players aren't going to the all-star game, they're vacationing. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, come to sunny Toronto, Ontario in February, instead of going to Fiji. That's a tough sell. It's a good primer if you want to play in Magnitogorsk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Where Europe and Asia meet. That's true. Yep. Anyhow, Debrinket was picked. What do you guys think of this whole every team gets one representative thing? There's a little bit of discourse on it online, and I'm going to preface this by saying I don't particularly care so much where I'm willing to die on this hill, but I am. it does feel a little bit contrived to me. I understand it, and I'm good with it, but there's an asterisk on my opinion for this. I understand that you want all markets tuned in and invested in this. You're showcasing a league-wide event. I understand that you want it to be a league-wide event. I fully, fully get that. And for the most part, I agree with it. Where we as fans and podcasters and anybody who is going to ever comment on it has to understand then, when we are talking about career accolades with players, this is not something that gets brought into the conversation. This is a showcase event not a prestige event. The all-star team is picked at the end of the season. The, it's a different thing. Exactly. The post-season all-stars, this guy was on the first all-star team, this guy was on the second all-star team. Those are a prestige conversation. This is just a showcase. And so that's why, you know, you come in and you're like, oh, it doesn't matter too, too much. I would like to see it where only players who deserved really to get in, get in. And that might be like, Four Tampa Bay players in a year. Like William Nylander wasn't in on the initial pick, which is ridiculous considering the season he's having. But by these rules, that's how it was going to play out. And that's why they have a remaining dozen or so that can be voted in for the Nylanders. But to me, it's like if you want to really get people to care about this, showcase the league to new fans, etc., you're going to want the best players there, not guys who are like 23 points. Yes, yeah, so let's showcase games. it to new fans in Toronto, Ontario. Well, it's for TV, more <laughs> like. Yeah. Right. So anyways, but I, we're almost the perfect argument for why they need to do this. If there wasn't a 32 team representation mandate, when legitimately, when was the last time the Red Wings would have had an all-star? There was a couple of years in there, like, you know, Siders, rookie season, et cetera. I, again, in the Atlantic division. Well, you're, the, te- you're telling me Jimmy Howard didn't deserve to go that one year. Jonathan Bernier had like the fan vote from the Red Wings. Honestly. Like this guy does. Actually, he deserved the time off so we wouldn't vote. Not even to be funny or make a joke of it. If you're actually picking the best players in the league. When did Dan Sick retire? I I think it might have been Lidstrom. Because like the last couple years of Zetterberg and Datsuk, they weren't getting in. Oh, that's too much. That's too much. I I, there's You might have had one random Larkin season in there where you could have justified it. Maybe one of the final years of Zetterberg or Datsuk. That's it. I th- no, I think when you like the the cider rookie season, like you you look at stuff like that, like they also lean on young stars as well. But again, Thomas Ramnick talk- had a big season for us. <laughs> I think yeah, it was probably going to be in there. But but taking to your point, if this is purely merit based, so you're taking storylines and feel good stories out of the decision making equation. I don't know if they've had one since. I'm needling your point for like the minutia of it. It overall stands. Detroit wouldn't have been at the All-Star game a lot at the very least since we started this podcast. Maybe one, possibly two since Lidstrom retired at best. And reminder, that was now 12 years ago. 
Well, there was a lot of, you know, bad team has bad players. So there probably would have been a lot of teams that would be struggling to send a, or get a representative. And that's exactly why, this is defeating my own opinion that I just said a few minutes ago, that's exactly why the NHL mandates it. Otherwise, people would have forgotten that the Detroit Red Wings existed. Quite literally, yes. It's just Colorado and Vegas playing each other at the All-Star game. No, it's Colorado and Vegas playing Tampa, Boston, and Toronto. Pretty much. The odd Carolina player thrown in there. (laughs) West versus East? I don't mind that. Go for it. If it meant anything, if it meant, you know, home ice advantage or something when you cross over, that would interesting the only thing i actually truly care about to the point where you know if someone gave me 30 minutes in front of gary bettman and yeah a guarantee that the conversation could actually affect real change the only way i'd bring up the all-star conversation is if i could bring up the all-star draft and to get him to put it through whoever's head he needs to put it through that these players are big boys and they all can understand that there's nothing wrong with being picked last in the all-star draft you're still among the best players in the league the fact that they won't do that draft or there's, uh, sorry, a protection for the last, you know, X amount of players so they, no one's actually picked last. Give me a break, dude. This is the best hockey league in the world. These are the best players on the planet. You're picked among the best 30 or 40 best players on the planet and you can't handle being picked last. Give me Alex Ovechkin and Phil Kessel being loaded at the all-star draft and the last <laughs> player pick gets a car again. That's what everyone remembers and cares about. Stop trying to baby them. like it. And if this is coming from the PA, I don't care. If it's coming from the players, I don't care. Everyone's, they're all big boys. They can all handle being picked last. It's great entertainment. The NBA does it, or they did do it. I don't understand why we went away from that. Whose sensitivities are we trying to protect here? I oh. don't, Phil's. Oh, I was picked last and got a car. Oh, I'm going to cry into my millions. Of, give me a break. Reward them. If you're picked last. And I don't think that's get- what the players think. For the record. Yeah. If you get picked last, you get to skip the All-Star game the following year and enjoy your vacation. <laughs> you get like a, an immunity idol. You yeah. can you can play at any wow. time over the next five years. <laughs> now we're talking. And if you if you don't get picked to the All-Star game again, you can sell it to Alex Ovechkin for a hundred grand. <laughs> <laughs> He'd buy it. Hey, we want 10% royalties, NHL. There. Problem solved. So players are just worried because if they get picked last, they have to, you know, go on auto trade or Unknown, unnamed car reselling website and have to try and sell it. That's right. I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to be picked last either. Anyways, let's let's move on from this before we accidentally give any other companies free advertising. Okay, that's the all-star game. We'll see as the, uh, the voting goes in. I don't, actually very quickly here, I don't really think any other Red Wings do stand out as being likely to get voted in. Larkin, maybe you could have made a case. He'll kill you if he gets voted. He'll kill you specifically, Brad. No, I know. You could have made a case. If it had been a month longer, maybe Patrick Kane? Yeah, honestly. Yeah, seriously. He has the hype. If you ask most non-Red Wings fans around the league what Red Wings player stands out to you the most right now, I guarantee you like 80% plus will say Patrick Kane. Do you think he would want to go? Um, I'm not sure what vibe I really get from Patrick Kane on that. He... Here, let's just... He's a, he's an entertainer. He is. he is. No one does his celebrations and embraces the name Showtime if they're not an entertainer. But he's also at the end stage of his career and probably would like the time to continue to get up to shape. And specifically mentioned how he didn't want to go to a team that had a lot of travel and going to the All-Star Games, additional travel. So, yeah. I hope for Larkin's sake that he doesn't get voted in. It would be cool to see another Red Wing go. It's, it's a fan vote, right? Yeah, it's just not that kind I, of season. I abstain. I abstain. 
If we can't be John Scott, we're not doing it. I'm not even interested. Okay, let's move on here. The World Juniors. Uh, since we last spoke, it was Sweden who had already moved on to the gold medal game. Everyone and I talked to you about that. The USA, Trey Augustine, sensational in that again. They moved on to the finals, and it was the predictable Sweden versus USA gold medal game that was Red Wings prospects Trey Augustine and net for the States versus Axel Sandin, Pelika, and Anton Johansson at D for Sweden. Coming into that game, my friend made me pick, and I told him, I was like, I think the States is who I would pick, but I don't know. I feel like goaltending that game is going to be what makes the difference. I was not expecting the States to be so dominant against Sweden. It was close for two periods, but then the U.S. pulled away in the third. Finding out after the fact that Sandin Pelika was actually playing that game hurt. Yes. Also is a huge factor because obviously he was Sweden's top D, so that hindered him a little bit. I figured it would come down to goaltending. I liked the U.S.'s roster on paper better. They definitely were a much, much higher skill team than Sweden. But we've seen it even at the U18s a couple of years ago uh, where Sweden upset the States because Hugo Havlid went berserk. Very much was on the table for this game again, but he didn't have his best game and Trey Augustine did. Yeah. And then the U.S. jumped all over it and that was all she wrote. Big kudos to the American team. Like they came into that tournament as unanimous he- heavy favorites. Yeah. The team is stacked from top to bottom. They come in, they handle that pressure, then they play the host nation at in the finals, and they hand them uh, a loss convincingly. All my hats off to the the United States. They put together a heck of a tournament. Man, and they were they were letting the fans hear. I it love too. it. I love that petty stuff. And Sweden got all poopy pants at the end there. <laughs> I absolutely love all of that. I love I love the states doing it. I love Sweden's reaction. That's like building the kind of villainous, you know, mo or like that kind of identity, especially for new rivalries. Like Sweden and the states will forever remember this. Oh, yeah. Every time they play in tournaments. And it's good when it's not just Canada and the States or Sweden, Finland or Canada, Russia. Like you want these rivalries to be across all of the the favorites any given tournament. So that was yeah, I lo- I had no problem with the the blowing the kiss to the crowd, and I had no problem with the crowd giving it back. I love all of that. Anton Johansson, pretty much the only thing he did that game was throw a lot of glove punches. Was it a great look for him? Probably not. But it was hilarious to see. And then <laughs> Even the Brad size players on on the states were getting back into it. That was like that was classic World Juniors. I actually thought more of the tournament was missing that kind of intensity. Yeah, it was classic junior hockey, and the rivalry is again. This is the third year of intense international competition between these age groups between Sweden and the U.S. So if we're sitting here in 2028 covering a Red Wings game and we're wondering why every single one of Axel Sandin Pelika's shots went right past Trey Augustine's ear, we know why. <laughs> Anyhow, Trey Augustine, like sensational, I think, all tournament, outstanding performance. Hugo Havlid got goaltender, got named uh, to the all-tournament team as the goaltender, but that very well could have been Augustine. I think if he didn't miss the game due to illness earlier in the, the tournament, that might have been him. Uh, Axel Sandin Pelika was named by the directorate, the top defenseman for the World Juniors. He wasn't named to the the, the all-tournament team, but he was named the top defenseman by the IIHF directorate. It's confusing. Don't worry about it. He got the accolade. 
Uh, I thought that was really great, especially because I actually think he had more in the tank that tournament. Unfortunate news now, though, Sandin Pelka is going to be out, I think, four to eight weeks. Credit to Lars Thorzell of the Swedish winger who put that out today on social media, but not really great news for Sandin Pelka. Now we know he was playing the finals hurt. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Talky injuries happen. But on the all-tournament team, uh, Scott Wheeler made a great point. The voting for that was actually done at the first intermission of the gold medal game. Interesting. Before Havilid kind of fell apart towards the end of the game and Augustine kept on trucking. So he was even saying had he casted his vote at the end of the third period, it might have actually gone to Augustine. The margins were that thin. Do they do some sort of a presentation for those players at the end of the game or something? Is that why they do it at the first intermission? You would just need to be like, yeah, they, it's not different than um, three-star voting for the NHL. Mm-hmm. Like they capture that all early so they have the presentation of the awards to the players. They can get the PA announcer, the names and stuff. Like it's all pretty much it takes just— takes a long time to get, get a runner to go from the, it's the hard. room up to the top. Yeah, yeah how many difficult. times have we seen— Emily Kaplan gassed on on national broadcast because she's <laughs> had to run onto the ice and then like it's it's almost kind of that's one thing that's small that doesn't really matter too much but I wish they would change that about hockey like especially if it's too like for example the goaltending it's these guys are going head to head right now to yeah. win the gold medal like that could influence your vote significantly anyhow. Sandine Pelica got the recognition. I don't think Trey Augustine cares. I think he's no. going to be happy about gold. That American team is going to be a force to be reckoned with next year, too. Like, there's a lot of guys returning Could as be well. one of those teams where you look back in five years and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they had this guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. It's yeah. like, no wonder they they walk through the tournament. Yeah. Did, did I read something? Like, they might have 10-plus returnees next year as well. It's, like, that BC line, they could uh, – Perot. Will Smith and Ryan Leonard could all be back next year. And watching Ryan Leonard play in that tournament, you're like, that is a that's a guy who's playing a man's game against kids. Yes. He is he is serious, man. What did you guys think of Rutger McGrody's hit? Which one? <laughs> the, the the one down the like across the middle. Not one part of him touched the head of his opponent. So perfect. I thought like that was a vicious hit, and that was a clean hit in my mind. I I understand why Swedish fans didn't love it, and I understand why they were calling for a penalty, but that's a clean hit. I was, I saw it, and I was kind of surprised that, you know, by WHF standards, which I, I would say are a lot softer, they're not really to my liking, they didn't call that a penalty, because I've seen... Especially at home with the Swedish fans right there, they right? call that penalty, they're rock stars. That is a gutsy non-call by the ref, and I think he got it right. That was a that was a get-off-the-tracks kind of hit. Like, you can't be cut into the middle like that. But it's also hard making. This is a great segue to the next uh, conversation. (laughs) Oh, we're gonna save that one. It's it's hard to make that hit without having it be dirty. But he, yeah, he caught his body. Get low and follow through. It's not rocket science. It is harder for big guys, and McGordy's not a small guy. So kudos to him for making it work. Anyhow, uh, exciting time for Red Wings fans as they saw Trey Augustine, who is. It's not a if conversation it is now detroit has two potential options in the future and i think they're both they both have claims to whether or not they're detroit's best option in net and that is sebastian cosa and now trey augustine you can't hang on to draft stock you can't hang on to where they are in their process now you have players with worse draft stock or who you spent less draft capital on and they're the ones who come and pan out and that could be trey augustine over sebastian cosa and it's not a problem for Detroit. This is exactly what they were hoping for when they took Trey Augustine last season. 
this debate is probably just going to turn into a what's your flavor conversation amongst the fan base because Costa and Augustine are both really good, but for almost the exact opposite reasons. Costa is the big, tall, athletic freak. Augustine's the smaller, but fundamentally rock solid option. So wherever you lie on that spectrum is probably who you're going to gravitate towards. Competition breeds success too, right? Like this, not saying that Kosa doesn't have a fire lit under his butt, but watching, I'm sure he's not blind of what Trey Augustine oh, yeah. just did in the World Juniors. Like this guy's going to be coming to push for a job sooner rather than later. And uh, that, you know, makes guys work a little bit harder in practice. And it's also crazy to note, Augustine was the U.S.'s starter at the World Juniors last year and again this year and likely will be next year as well because he's still eligible. Well, that's if Detroit chooses to send him. (laughs) (laughs) So great on that front. I think Red Wings fans are hoping that Sandine Pelica can recover fully and not have this impact his development too much. Bummer that you don't get to see him for at least a month here, but as as long as he recovers uh, more that that's what's more important. Well, it sucks because he was pushing a lot of SHL records this year that he probably won't hit now. Yeah, man, that's a bummer. But healthy coming into camp next year, that's all you want. Yep. Okay. Let's jump into NHL news and let's start with, you're right, Evan, that is a great segue, the McGroarty hit. Let's get into the Connor Bedard injury, a fractured jaw in a game against the New Jersey Devils where it was a play where he skated down the middle, you know, trying to split defenders and kind of bent over as he was stick handling. Bedard's not exactly a big guy, and Brendan Smith stepped up, made a hit, no penalty on the play. Uh, immediately, Connor Bedard was grabbing his face, so you knew something was wrong. I thought maybe he like lost a tooth or cut his lip or something, and then there was a scuffle after. Chicago's reaction, predictable, when you have you know your version of Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby gets hurt and has to leave the ice. It doesn't really matter if it's clean or not. The response is to go and you know get a, a pound of flesh. And that's what they tried to do. And then Felino fought Brendan Smith later and broke his hand on his helmet. And he's out for a while now too. And that all playing out, I don't know if you guys think differently. I have no problem with the way Chicago reacted, even if in my personal opinion, the hit was clean. You know, you have to react that way when it's your superstar player. I don't care if it's the cleanest hit ever thrown in the history of hockey. Someone takes a run at your 18-year-old future. You go in throwing punches and ask, ask questions later. And I'm a big, I, I don't like big uh, fights after or big hits every single time. And this is one of my exceptions. Like, I think in this case, you as a team, especially for Chicago, you're not out there winning games. Like, your job is to protect <laughs> and make sure this kid is okay. Asset management. That's all it is. It's, <laughs> it's good asset management. Now, the hit itself. I'm going to ask Evan first because I'm, I'm going to be partial here and think you might be leaning more towards my side. <laughs> I think that was a... Unfortunate results on a play personally where, you know, Bedard was leaned over. Smith didn't really, Smith could have blown him up and he kind of just stood him up. He definitely laid back on that hit, I thought. He could have absolutely sent him to the shadow realm and he only sent him to the dressing room. (laughs) To the Uh, IR, but. Yeah, well, I mean, now Connor Bedard doesn't have to answer the stupid questions reporter asks him. So maybe he's happy about it. I don't know. (laughs) And you can see how pissed he was too. Yeah. Um, But I have no problem with those hits. You're coming down the the train tracks. You're going to run into a train eventually. Brad, over to you. (laughs) It was a clean hit. Oh, okay, Um, good. Yeah, I'm not arguing. In this iteration of the NHL, 
It's a clean hit. This is one of those situations where multiple things are true at the same time. As the rule book is written, did Brendan Smith do anything wrong? No. Should Connor Bedard, as a five foot ten forward, come flying through the neutral zone across the trolley tracks with his head down like that? No, he shouldn't. My gripe isn't with anything Brendan Smith did. I still am a believer in if you hit a guy in the head in any capacity, the rule should be changed to make that illegal. That I my problems with the rule book, not with what anybody did there. Well, they got a league for you. It's called European hockey. Yeah, <laughs> just double IHF games only. Because again, it was a sick hit to see, and you love it. But is the game of hockey better with Connor Bedard being out now for a couple months? No. Here's the thing. This is a worst case scenario. This is, and it's not the same play because I think this was a dirty play. But you remember the hit that was laid on Connor McDavid in his rookie season that broke yep. his collarbone. Yep. That one pissed me off. But that was against the rules and someone took a run at Connor McDavid and I thought that was some scrub idiot who now made the whole sport of hockey worse. And then Peter Shirley traded for him to play with Connor McDavid. Which was, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I always have to throw that in. <laughs> it almost makes you think, you're like, that was, that was Brandon Manning, right? Yep. And then, yeah, it was. Yep. To me, I understand what you're saying, Brad. I don't want to see the sport of hockey where you're not, there isn't a physical, preventative, like a, it's a physical game. It's not the solely like the sole part of the game that should dictate how the game flows. I think the skill and the speed and how that game is the part of the game is evolving should dictate hockey in general. But there should be physical ramifications or at least the risk of it if you're going to skate down the gut like that. And just being shorter shouldn't be a per, uh, protective measure for you. Do you know what I mean? Like it's if kind of I understand I, I what get, you're biased towards this. You're trying to protect me and you on the ice. But. I, I get what you're saying, and in this situation, it would be an advantage to being shorter. My argument to that, and of course, I'm going to come off as biased as all hell on this one. The short king. So what? How many advantages do the big guys get in the NHL with reach and <laughs> He's real mad at you here. My, oh my God. <laughs> but even by NHL standards, Evan's not big. No, no. No. So You would actually be like... I only weigh about <laughs> 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 the amount of times when I'm editing the podcast, I zoom in on Evan's pants and just send it in the group chat. <laughs> These seams are hanging it's like up for stuffing a sausage. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like big players have so many advantages all over the ice. If this gives short players one advantage, so what? It's you can crouch, you can get low. Rutger McGroarty is the perfect example here because he's huge and he was able to get down, throw a huge hit in the same spot of the ice. And not contact the head. No concussion risk. None of it. Perfect. I want to see ramifications for going through the neutral zone like that. But run through the chest. And I understand Brandon Smith got mostly chest. But he can't have done anything different. You he could get a little, not have done anything different in that case. You could or you could take the puck. Or I don't know. Because I'm a big fan of watching Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Connor Bedard try to blow through the middle of the ice. I don't want to dissuade them from doing that because those are when you get the crazy-ass goals. But I mean, Nathan McKinnon would also just blow the yeah, other Yeah, okay, McKinnon, up. maybe not the best example there, but you know what I mean. That man is the most vicious superstar in the NHL. I saw someone yeah. tweet, uh, he shoots the puck like he hates that it. Steve, yeah, Steve Daigle tweeted that. It, perfect. He, like, he, that guy is just always at 110. You know when there's a sprint button in a video game? He never lets, he just tapes that <laughs> I've down. I've never seen him and McDavid are so fast, but they skate so completely different from one another. It's almost like McKinnon's trying to trying to destroy the ice. Like, how dare yeah. you get in my he way? He hates the ice, Connor, yeah. Connor McDavid is, skates through the ice like, try and touch me. You can't do it. Nathan McKinnon skates through the ice like, try and touch me. I dare you. Yeah. 
It's the game so fast now, too, that, like, making that split-second decision to, like, not... Like, I don't think Brendan Smith have tried... Like, he no, obviously didn't no. try to... It wasn't a malicious no. intent or anything like that. That was it, a soft it, hit. Like, he he did the bare minimum in my mind. And, like, the, this, like, the reaction time you have to have to, like, be like, oh, I, this guy's... Now he's lower. I have to, like, no. try and not blow him up. And it's... I don't know how you change that <laughs> i think i think there's a world where brad's argument like i in general i do agree with brad's argument not about this hit specifically but i do think we should be protecting heads a little bit better i just don't think this is a good example of that kind of hit because I, th- I still think in a changed rule book i would want this hit to be legal i just think it's an out- unfortunate outcome players could be doing more you're like in terms of uh, making sure they don't contact the head but I do think there's a limitation. You're right, Evan. In terms of the reaction time and in terms of physically in space, like if a player is hunched over and what, you're just supposed to never try to make contact with them. If you wait a split second against Connor Bedard, Connor McDavid, you're cooked. Yeah, you are. You're going to be on already, a highlight reel. It's, it's, you're, when guys like Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Connor Bedard are coming down on you, it's just try and get in the way because they're going to blow by you. Oh, I figured this out just now. This isn't a short thing for Brad. This is forwards versus defense. Uh, Brad's trying to litigate us out of the way. That's right. You know what? Let get rid of hooking as a penalty. Slow the game down. And <laughs> these quick decisions, <laughs> you'll be able to process it a little faster. Guys won't get blown up as much. Somewhere in the world, Peter Forsberg just shuddered. <laughs> Mariel Mew is having PTSD flashbacks with three sticks coming up his ribs on one rush. Here's the thing. I know, I, I feel in my heart that I'm right in this discussion with you, Brad, but you are completely correct that the NHL is so much worse off now if Connor Bedard is out for any significant amount of time, like especially near the All-Star game, especially as fans who are not really fans of hockey are starting to notice him and him specifically. This is a, that was a, multi-million dollar hit from Brendan Smith in a bad way. Yeah, and the other part of my argument here is you got to be careful how you write the rule book because if you put any gray area in there, oh, it's going to turn into a gong show. How many times have we used the phrase over the years, primary point of contact, Mm -hmm. to which nobody knows the exact answer. Everybody can look at still images of the same hit and have 50% different opinions. Even rules where we have lines, like physical lines, you're like, oh, what's the line on this rule? Oh, it's the blue one painted on the ice. Even offside discussions take us, how many hours have we dedicated in our lives? Way too many. Like, what is a cross check? The actual act of a cross check, it's very, very black and white. But when does it get called? Nobody knows. Not against, not on Rucker McGrady after he made that big hit. Yeah, so. I want, I, my opinion, circling back to my argument is you have to make it a black and white. You hit the head or you don't. It's a penalty or it's not, because if you leave it open to interpretation, it's going to be a nightmare, even more so than it already is. Anyways, you know, not to, to want the best for the Chicago Blackhawks ever, but for the sport of hockey in the NHL and just being a hockey fan in general, I do hope that Connor Bedard can make it back soon. That's a, a tough go. And that dude's a, like, he's a competitor, Like he's a dog. Oh yeah, he want he. I guarantee you, he's going to come back and play with a full cage if he needs to, or the, the the bring back the old Pat Lafontaine yeah, piece honestly. of rebar <laughs> covered yeah. in plastic. But the Gary Bettman will be thrilled if he can make it back soon enough. 
is yeah. he might not even make the All Star game. Yeah, all the got to get all those hockey non hockey fans in Toronto interested. <laughs> in hockey, we need Connor Bedard there. You misspeak once, and Evan will just fry you for it for days. Well, where where can we have it next? New York City. It's gonna be. It's gonna What's be. What's happening ro- in Montreal? It's gonna rotate between Vegas, the California teams, Florida. Soon enough, we're gonna have a team in Hawaii. Sign me up. I'm not big for massive disconnects in time zones, but a Hawaii team would be pretty. We cool. went over this. We even came up with team names. I can't remember what they were. If their lower half isn't bright yellow and the helmet's green like a pineapple, <laughs> what are we even doing here? The <laughs> pants. The pants have to look like hula skirts. That's the rule. Oh, oh there's so much you can do. That's too fun. Yeah. Funny enough, we're also at the same time coincidentally going to start another podcast for <laughs> for that team and just uh, move down there part time. I'll, uh, I'll move on site, you know, be real yeah. close to the team. Not because we want to, it's just the only way we could actually get Evan on a live podcast anymore. That's true. On be- on behalf of the uh, Honolulu Luau's. That's not bad. Okay, let's, uh, another topic in the NHL, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, it was reported by Elliot Friedman that they are nearing a contract extension for William Nylander, totaling $11.5 million per season or in and around there, presumptively eight years. He was one of those hypothetical, never too seriously, but hypothetical players we talked about. If a superstar or a star is going to land on the free agent market, can Detroit make a move for him? Nylander was one of them. Patterson was another one, but that's not been the case all season because Vancouver is apparently good now. What do you think of this contract extension for Nylander? Does this make sense for Toronto? How are they going to afford anything after? Etc. You know all those contracts that contenders sign where you look at it and you look at the player's age and you go, sure, the AAV is reasonable, but the back half of this contract is going to be a nightmare, but it doesn't matter because your window is only about another three to five years. This is that. I don't even know if the back half is going to be a nightmare necessarily. At 11 and a half for a 34-year-old William Nylander, I don't think it's going to be great. It's not going to be... It's going to be an overpay. They're essentially... It, they have back pay on there for him. That's what they're doing. The, the Toronto loves doing that. They love not betting player. They they love not betting on their players when they have the opportunity to slash anytime they're in a contract negotiation, they just get walked all over. They like Nylander had to fight tooth and nail for his contract. And then he watched Matthews and Marner get everything they wanted and more without having to miss games. And so he's looking at them and saying, well, I'm not going to give you an inch in this negotiation. And they kind of capitulated to that. So you boil down any individual decision. You're like, yeah, Toronto had to do this with Nylander better than losing him for nothing. They're just going to play three lines because they won't be able to dress a full four line. Three players. What did I say? They might, no, you, you said three lines. They might only be able to afford three players at a time the way they're going. Yeah, they're like, they're just going to rotate lines in and out of the game to fit under the cap. It's... I understand why they made that move. And like, again, you signed Matthews for what you did. You can't let a guy like that walk. No, no, but it's, it's going to be more of the same in Toronto. You're so top heavy. It's unbelievable how top heavy that roster is. What this does is it, their margin for error is zero. It it was before the Ryan Reeve and Ryan Reeves and John Klingberg mistakes can't happen anymore. You can't, you don't have the wiggle room for it. And they're going to need a, budget goalie to just be an absolute world beater one year in the playoffs. And even then, like now your defense gets harder to put together. Is Brody going to come back? What are you going to do? It's going to be like you said, Brad Tavares is going to have to take a pay cut. What's Marner going to demand when he's up? Isn't that's been the world's 
hardest negotiation for Toronto, actually. And he's having a terrible year, so that one's going to be complicated. Yeah, it's because I took him in fantasy. Uh, that's why. You're welcome. Uh, I don't know, man. Great for uh, opponents of Toronto to watch, but you see how that team plays out. I think the only thing that can save them and pull them forward in this whole process is, like Evan said, they just need a, a random goalie to go on a heater. And they can't pay a lot for him. I don't necessarily, and I, I don't think you have to pay a lot for a goalie to go on a heater. I think any Joe Schmo goal in the NHL has a chance to pop off most times, but that's their best bet at this point. Well, Detroit's got three goalies currently, and their cheapest one is their best one. It's weird, man. You either pay your like alpha stud goalie somewhere uh, in the uh, lo- just below ten million bucks. Everybody else, you don't pay. That's really what it's come down to. There's very much a separation between. It's like in the NFL. There's like eight amazing quarterbacks, and yep. you just pay them whatever whatever they want, and everybody else gets the scraps. That's what it kind of feels like with the goalie market these days. And it's not like you can just go to the goalie store and get an alpha stud goalie off the shelf. Like they, you, you hang on to them, and you hang on for dear life. And you don't panic when they have a down season, and it just seems like clockwork teams always do that. I remember a time where fans were like, oh, is Connor Hellebuck not actually that good? No, every goalie has a down year. And I think the only one where it really seemed like they actually were streaky forever was Bobrovsky. But most of the other like perennially amazing goalies are genuinely like that good. So the Gibson conversation is, oh, he's injury prone. So I understand that one. But yeah, in general, if you have a stud goal, you hang on. And for everyone else, just try not to overpay. Yeah. It's tough. All right, we're 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 running a bit long here. So we'll save the other notes for later on. The Sens are looking to make a trade to, to, to have a jolt in their roster, but they also don't want to move anyone. Uh, them and everybody <laughs> else. So essentially, they're not trying to do anything different than any other NHL GM at any given point. I just want to say like, I do think that's smart. Like, I'm not ripping on them for just giving away Josh Norris, for example. But then it's not, you're not going to make any significant move, though. If you're not going to make a risk of moving anyone, then you're not, that's just what everyone's trying to do all the time. Well, you have an option as long as you're comfortable never drafting anybody ever again. That's right. Yeah, just get rid of all your picks forever. I feel like Ottawa's that one team where it's just like, just let's get this season over with, move into the draft, reset, and hope. And next year's their year. There's so much noise at the start of this year, and it just started off so poorly that this season's pretty much cooked. I think it started off poorly, but it's continued poorly for them. Yeah, it's just the snowballs rolling down the hill at this point. Yeah, that's a like, that's a bad culture team in my mind. Like they need a big, they have a lot of culture of losing, and they they I don't know they don't handle the losing well. And I understand they've that's all from Eugene Melnick, who's obviously passed on now. But like that started with him, and that was so pervasive through the organization. The stories you hear now, it's not surprising that that didn't just change overnight. And Boston's kind of that inverse, right? Like mm-hmm. they have this culture of winning and they had strong leadership and now the death of the Boston Bruins has been on the clock for five years and they continue to uh, to skirt it. So yeah. yeah. I've bet on the death of the Boston Bruins twice in the past nine years. I've been wrong both times. So yep. goes to show you. Uh, and then very quickly here, the PWHL has started their season and has, uh, it's actually been really cool to see how many people have been tuning into it. They've had quite a bit of engagement in those games. So pretty awesome to see. And uh, hopefully that can keep rolling for them as the league seeks to establish itself. Yeah, it's been good games so far. It's nice because Toronto looks like arguably the weakest team in the league. Big fan of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of really good hockey so far. We saw our first jailbreak goal, which I love. They, they have that, the rule where if you score on the penalty kill, the, your, 
your player comes out of the box. I love that so much. It's interesting. I don't know if I, I want that, that for the NHL. The the vibes were high when it happened. It was it was actually really really neat. I I like it because the one thing that I have noticed is in this league, teams push on the penalty kill. They don't just sit back and ice it. They want it. Mm-hmm. They're going for it. Because even on the goal Toronto scored shorthanded, they just missed one 20 seconds earlier. Like, they were going. And they caught New York on their heels, and it pushed the play both ways on a power play, which was really cool to see. Okay. Let's jump into overtime here. Overtime in this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. If you want to know how we you know, run Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA and with the Grand Rapids Griffins, how we support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, how we continue to you know try to make the show bigger and better, it's all through our patrons. Uh, we can't thank them enough. You get benefits like access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord. You're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we give away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. Uh, additionally, you get access to all of our overtime bonus content. We record a overtime bonus episode right after these main ones and post it for you. We let loose, have fun. They're, uh, they're a good time. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast for all those benefits and more. Okay. Question here from one eyed Larry he says, usually when a pending whistle is coming, think offside, hand pass, high stick, etc. The offending team will intentionally not touch the puck to avoid the whistle and leave it for the other team. My thought is, wouldn't you rather take the whistle and have a shot at regaining possession of the face off? or off the face-off instead of forfeiting the puck by leaving it to the other team. Uh, it, it it's If you get caught doing it intentionally, intentionally, the ref will send the face-off all the way into your own zone. Exactly. If it's in the heat of the moment, then it is advantageous to do it. But if you back off and then make a move to touch like a delayed offside puck, the ref will send it all the way to your zone, which is a bad result. So it, it's meant to dissuade stopping play. Eric Asmus says, uh, reading Max's article in The Athletic, he speculated about trading pending UFA Goss's spirit and replacing him with Edvinson. I think we all want Simon on the team, but Ghost wouldn't be our first option to leave. But what would be a good return for Shane and how soon would you even make the potential trade? I think no matter what the Red Wings do, it's probably going to go right to the deadline because they want to know where they are in the playoff race before they make any decisions like that. Now, if the Red Wings are in a position to sell... Goss Despair would be one of their better pieces to get a good return, and that does free up a spot for Edvinson, which are both pluses, depending what Goss Despair's contract demands are. It's probably better to keep him around for a few more years. Yeah. But if that's not going well, then yeah, you might as well. It's It really just depends in my mind, yeah. Does Goss Despair want to stay? Is it reasonable? If not, that might make the decision for you, but yeah, it's going to go to the wire no matter what. Les Grossman's ungodly firestorm says, good morning slash evening gents. I've got a strategy question for you. Teams are willing to pull the goalie late in the game to give themselves a chance of catching up slash tying at the risk of allowing another goal. At the same time, why don't teams send an offensive player to the opposing blue line late in a close game and have him just sit there waiting for an outlet or clear? Sure, you're playing 5v4 in the defensive zone, but I imagine the chance of scoring on the empty net is higher than scoring 5v4. I've never seen it done quite like this, and I'm not sure why. Thanks. It leads to my whole pro-offs-no-offside argument where, yeah, you could send a cherry picker and just assume the risk of a 5-on-4, but what's really going to happen there is the defensive team's just going to send a defenseman back with him, and it's just going to turn the D zone into a 4-on-4, to which at that point... What have you really accomplished? 
it's funny because I can see a situation where a team plays against a poorly constructive offensive offensive team, and they say, "Okay, yeah, I want to. Uh, I want. I'm going to cherry pick by the the opposing blue line." But imagine doing that without your coach's consent. The, <laughs> oh you would God. get the bag skate of all bag skates after that. Anyhow. Next question here from Not That Kind of Hockey says, even though the Wings are not currently in a playoff spot, I choose to live in delusion and believe that Eisenman will buy at the deadline. What are some realistic players on your wish list that we could trade for? This is actually something we didn't really cover during the show, but it is somewhat rumored that Detroit might be looking into defensemen. I haven't heard too much on this front, but it's not really surprising considering how bad Detroit's defensemen are. But in my, I'm more concerned about what they move out because you can't really be adding to this blue line without shipping out one or more of the problematic pieces right now. I don't even care if the Red Wings are in a playoff spot. They should not be sending out any premium assets in a trade unless it's for a long-term solution. And what is a mid-round pick going to get you at the deadline? Not much. So I'm in the camp of don't buy, even if you are in a playoff spot. But yeah, whatever the best defenseman you think a fourth round pick will get you is about as far as I'm going. All right. Next question here from Jeremy Dahl says, I've been just as frustrated as you guys with the compete of this team and the lack of Edmondson on the roster at the moment and the lack of forward momentum. But I want to be positive. And if they have a good showing against the Ducks, I feel like we're right back in this. A lot of teams around us are losing when we need them to. So to ask a positive question, if the Red Wings do make the playoffs, who would you want to see them play the most? I mean, if we got the Leafs, we are maybe guaranteed to win in seven with how their last seven years have went. I know we would most likely get the Rangers or Boston, but we have played Boston hard. Cheers, boys. From an entertainment standpoint, Boston would be the most fun. Yes. I'll take Boston. I'd take Boston over New York. I don't think Detroit has either of their numbers, but yeah, Boston, at least you get the the hatred, the intra-division hatred that you'd want. You know, maybe you you beg that Florida moves up. Not that I think Florida would be an easy team, but if you want like a weaker team to get up there than Boston, maybe, but I don't know. Detroit would be hard-pressed to be remotely favored in any potential matchup right now. You could maybe argue you hope Carolina or New Jersey win the Metro because their goaltending is awful, so maybe you could exploit that. Washington continues on the run and somehow win that division. Yeah, yeah. there's the answer. What a weird turnaround that no one would have predicted. Oh, 100%. Philly. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I want to face that team right now. And Stanislavski says, what would the Red Wings get if they decided to trade Patrick Kane? So assuming he waives his no trade clause, let's say Detroit's out of the playoff race and Kane says, I want to move on. What would they get? Way he's playing now, outside chance you get a first. Yeah. I think. And he's he would, almost, he's almost a point per game player. That is like the ultimate rental player that you could buy for a team. Like you are not getting some schlub. You're not getting David Legwand. You're getting Patrick Kane, who is. You get the rare combination of experience and production. Yeah. And someone they're essentially, they're paying a premium for Detroit, taking the risk on the contract in case his hips blow up and they don't have to, and the cap implications are different at the deadline. The Mexanadian says, I'm worried that they're going to overplay Lion. I was a big proponent of starting your hot hand, but we see what happened uh, with Huso and Ned, especially last season and the season before. I just don't want that to happen with Lion. I understand, but Detroit doesn't have too many other options right now. Yeah, the real answer here is, okay, what else are you going to do? 
Lars Thorzell says, hey, boys, so when do we start the tankathon spins? Not yet, Lars. Don't put that evil on me. Uh, joking aside, it is looking a little bit bleaker now at the playoffs after a disastrous December. If you look back at your points predictions from the start of the season, do you revise them or are you happy with them? What percentage would you put on the Red Wings making the playoffs now? Also, Sandine Pelican, a cast for one to two months will suck. He was so close to breaking records that have stood for 35 years. I think I was mid to high 80s for my Red Wings prediction. I think they're still trending towards that, so I'll, I'll hold that. Playoff percentages right now, I'll give it 20. Yeah, I, I, I actually think the Red Wings were outpacing all of our predictions, but specifically mine, even though I think I had them at 91 points in six in the division. It kind of feels like it's just falling back into where, uh, where I had them. Yeah, in terms of percentages, it's I think 20 would be the highest you give them right now. Let's see where they are at the end of the January. Beer League Chump on Twitter. I love his response whenever I, you know, I talk about the points percentages and you know Detroit got 4-4 four four against the West and it wasn't pretty and it was just win, baby. And that's what it is right now for the Red Wings. Just win. Who cares how you did it? If you get the points, you get the points and that's what matters most right now. You just got to get claw your way back into this thing. I know Detroit is at least two more games against Washington as well and they're a direct competitor for the wild card. So those are... Yeah, I know just win is is a good motto to have, but those are the ones you have to win. Yeah, and those like I almost didn't care that they go to the shootout, for example, against a Western Conference. Don't team. care. Yeah, if you can get regulation wins against the East, that is huge. Yep. All right, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to be back with you on Wednesday where we'll be talking about the result of the Anaheim game that will have already happened by the time you're listening. So apologies for that. Just a weird schedule for Detroit this January. But thank you all so much for tuning into the Winged Wheel Podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a listener of old, thank you so much for listening over the last almost nine years now. Uh, thank you to Labatt Blue Light for sponsoring this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Also, thank you to all of our patrons, especially our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brad Shin Extensions Baggins, Carl Brutanen Analuski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Curtis Snyder, who's a brand new name level supporter. Welcome, Curtis, to the Dub Dub Club. Daddy Bettman Bucks, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Instam, DJ Denton, Eric Shun, GOD Creatives, Give Blood Fight Probert. Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon Farter, the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red Feathered Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, Sprong 88, Best 88, That's What I Appreciate About You, Walman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Hot Ham Water, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Official Trey Augustine Stan Account, O. Ophelia, Steven, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, 
Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron, your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Talk to you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.